Welcome to the New Life Podcast, a ministry of New Life Presbyterian Church in Ithaca, New York. Today we have this week's sermon preached by Tim LaCroix, our senior pastor. Join us for worship each week at 10 o'clock at 950 Danby Road, Ithaca, New York. You can also visit us on our website, www.newlifeithaca.org. Now here's this week's sermon. A reading from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. When the movie Fight Club came out, 1999, It didn't do that well in the box office, and it didn't receive much critical acclaim. In fact, studio executives were pretty wary of this movie. They thought it was too weird, too strange. But as the years went on, especially as it was released to video, it became a cult classic. It acquired a cult following. And the reason, I think, is because it resonated with a generation, especially the young people of the late 90s and early aughts. I remember going to seminary and some of my seminary classmates were just talking about how amazing Fight Club was, you know, and they, they loved it so much. What is it about, what is about this movie? Uh, it, would be, it might be good to have a, a movie night and watch this together, so I won't spoil, try not to spoil the movie, but the, the movie really, it starts with a man who, who by all intents and purposes, is, a, is, is, a, is successful according to the measure of our culture. He has a good job. He has a great apartment. He spends his time buying Ikea furniture, you know, through a, uh, looking through a catalog and buying Ikea furniture. But this, this person is, is deeply sad and deeply alone. He, he is affected by the isolation of his life, uh, the loneliness of, his, uh, of, the, of the life that he has created for himself. And so looking for something, looking for community, looking for relationship, he begins to join groups like AA groups and cancer survivors groups, even though he's not an alcoholic and he never had cancer. He sort of invents a story about himself and he goes to these groups because in these groups they have intense community, they have shared story, they have shared suffering and, and they love each other and he just go, he goes to these groups and it helps him, it like makes him feel alive. Um, there was a book in the, in the, on the year, in, in year 2000 by Robert Putnam called Bowling Alone. And it, it explored this phenomenon from the perspective of social science. And this, uh, Robert Putnam is a political scientist. And he, as, he looked at the, as he looked at the scene of American culture, he, he described what he called a loss of social capital. And what he meant by that was that all the, all the, all the cultural and community groups and events that used to bind culture together like uh, rotary clubs and fraternal organizations and churches 
We're declining in attendance and declining in numbers. And this, he described, a loss of social capital was a detriment to our society and especially our body politic as people are more isolated and alone and not connected. The, the name of the book Bowling Alone comes from something he discovered was that even though people were bowling in greater numbers, they were often bowling alone by themselves. And of course, bowling is a deeply communal activity that uh, throughout its history has been done in groups of people and on teams. And in case you think that maybe it's gotten better over the last 20 years, a couple of years ago, actually four years ago now, in 2020, a movie came out called Nomadland. It won three Oscars, Frances McDormand for Best Actress, the director, Chloe Zhao, the first Asian-American woman to win an Oscar, and the, only the second woman director, sorry, director Oscar, second Asian-American woman to win a director Oscar, and the second woman, uh, and it won Best Picture. And Nomadland, it, it follows this, this, this woman who is a nomad. She's searching. She's roaming the country, searching. The, the, the town in which she built her life is now a ghost town because the industry that supported it is gone. Her husband has died. And so she begins to wander the country in a van, uh, an RV type van, you know, like van life type van, you know. She, she roams the country and she's looking for purpose. She's looking for community. So I don't think it's really changed in the past 20 years. I think that, that our, our culture, the people in our culture, you and I are isolated. We feel loneliness. We lack connection. This is not the way we were made to be. The very first, one of the very first verses in the Bible is it, is it was not intended that humankind should be alone. And so what we see in the scripture today is, I believe, an answer to the isolation that many of us feel. That we are searching, uh, searching for a community. And oftentimes, when, when we're searching for community, we'll often find what I would call counterfeit community. And by counterfeit community, I don't, all, I don't mean that all attempts to find community are bad. Uh, some of them may be bad. Many of them can be good. But as John Calvin said, the human heart is a factory of idols. Our, our hearts are really good at make, taking good things and making them not so good. So many of the good things that we pursue end up either not truly fulfilling what God has made us for or may work to our detriment. And and folks are pursuing many, many things in order to fill that God-shaped vacuum, as Pascal, the the French philosopher and scientist said, the God-shaped vacuum that exists in every human heart. In the text today, we find God's designed community. We find a group of people uh, that have been uh, immediately changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. The, the passage that precedes this is Pentecost Sunday. Well, the Holy Spirit fell on the believers in the upper room. And they began exhibiting signs and wonders and they kind of, they kind of erupt out into the street. As John Chrysostom said in, in the quote I read to you earlier, they were afraid and they were a lo- in a locked room afraid at the beginning of the day. When the morning started, they, were locked, they had the door locked because they were afraid of the authorities. And as the day ended, they, their, all their fear had gone. They flew open the doors and they started proclaiming the good news of Christ. And 3,000 people, it says in verse 41, were baptized on that day. 3,000 people. And what we see in verses 42 through 47 is the story of that first community filled with the Holy Spirit, 
fear just completely taken away by the, the power of God and how they live their lives. And so this passage has become a programmatic passage for the church. And you'll hear, maybe heard a sermon on it before. You'll hear, you may hear more sermons on it in the future because it shows us the way God designed not only the church but for human community to exist. And so what I'm presenting to you today is this beautiful community that we read about in this text is, 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 is the answer, is God's, is God's answer for the longing that we have. As we look at this, we're going to see th- three things. I'm going to pull out three things in the text today about this beautiful community. The first is that the beautiful community is devoted. The second is the beautiful community is generous. And the third is the beautiful community is successful. So let's look at the, the, the first one. The beautiful community is devoted. It says it right here in verse 32. And they devoted themselves. They are devoted. And as we think about counterfeit community, there are many things that people are devoted to. We see devotion all around us. Uh, you know, just a couple weeks ago, last week too, they're, they're, the Bills had a, oh, sorry Bills fans, this may be too soon. Uh, but they had, they had a football game in the middle of the snow. They had people shoveling the snow, and people were sitting in snow in Highmark Stadium in Buffalo. They were sitting in the snow. Uh, they were devoted to being there. The snow was not going to deter them. Uh, in fact, I saw pastors sharing memes like, if you can do that, you can come to church, right? If you can sit in the snow for four hours, uh, you can do it. That, that's devotion, right? And there's, there's many things that we are devoted to we, we you know i mentioned sports and many of us are devoted to various activities and we're devoted to our jobs we're devoted to uh, our our schooling uh, as i said before none of these things are bad you know they're, in fact they're good but the, the, the lesson we have here in the, in the scripture is there are some things that we should be devoted to because they give us life they actually they actually bring us life they nourish our souls and they give us energy and the ability to engage in the things that we're called to be engaged in. As we see what, what they are devoted to, and the, the thing we find in this passage is that we, we see all the other activity of this passage, but it all starts with what they were devoted to. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. The apostles' teaching, they devoted themselves to the word of God. That's what the apostles' teaching is. The apostles wrote down the New Testament. The apostles' teaching, uh, did, the New Testament did not exist yet. Okay, day of Pentecost, there was no New Testament. There was the apostles' experience, the apostles' teaching, what they had learned from Christ and what the Holy Spirit was moving in them to teach as they expounded the Old Testament. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And so the beautiful community gains its source, its information from being devoted to God's word. I, also, I, I do also think that the traditions of the church are also included in this. So I'm not excluding the, the, the handed down tradition of the church. But primarily what is meant is being devoted to God's word. God's word, as, as we will see, the, the means of grace listed here, word, sacrament, and prayer, God's word has power to affect change in our lives. This is not just a, a, a nice story. In fact, there are parts of it that aren't nice at all. Uh, there are parts of it that are very challenging. But 
we believe that this, the word of God is able to, to affect change in our lives and to, to actually do something. It's powerful. Uh, the writer of Hebrews says the, living, the word of God is living and active. It, it cuts between joint and marrow. It, 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 it works in us. The Apostle Paul says that all scripture is breathed out by God and is useful for teaching, for for. for reproof, rebuke, and for training in righteousness. The Bible says of itself that it is powerful. The prophet Isaiah says the word of God does not return void. In other words, it does exactly as God intended. I often say about my preaching and teaching is that, you know, the the effectiveness or efficacy of anything that I might say to you on Sunday morning only exists because I read to you, we read to you God's word, and I tell you what it says. God's word is, the, is what provides the power for our life. And so they were devoted to God's word. There's so many things that we can be devoted to. We see the early Christians were devoted to God's word. And that's the reason why, that's the reason why we read a lot of scripture. Because you need to hear God's word. And that's the reason why I preach expository sermons, not just sort of topical uh, good ideas. But I tell you what it says. I tell you what it says. That's what I'm trying to do up here. Not only were they devoted to the word, the apostles' teaching, it says they were devoted to the fellowship. Now, the one, the one thing I want to point out is there's, there's, there's plenty of people who devote themselves to, to fellowship and friendship and relationship. And, and the one thing I would point out uh, beyond that is that for many churches, for many churches, the church itself can become an idol, right? The, the actual place, the building, if it, if it is you know, very beautiful and glorious, can become something that they hold on to. Uh, but also the, the, the activity of the church or the sort of uh, the organization itself or even sort of the, the ethos of the church. So we're, 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 we have a good community. These things can become, if you embrace them in and of themselves, uh, can be, become things that we latch on to and actually displace what we're supposed to be devoted to. We're not, we're not devoted to the church as a building or, an, or as an organization. The word fellowship here is translated as the word koinonia, which you may have heard before, but it, it means commonality. It could be translated commonwealth. The fellowship is not the organization that they're devoted to. It is each other. It is the one anothering. It is the service and love for each other. They are devoted to relationship, to community with each other. It's not the, the, the building or the organization or even the, the idea of community that they're devoted to. They're devoted to each other as people, to, to knowing each other, to serving each other. To, as the Apostle Paul says in Romans 12, to have a contest to see who can honor each other more, he says. See who can win the contest of honoring each other more than the other. That's the fellowship. That's what they're devoted to. And it really is, is the one anothering, the each other aspect. The third thing they're devoted to is the breaking of bread. You'll notice, and I liked how the ESV translation does this, because it points out that all of these have definite articles. The word the, the breaking of bread. This is sacramental. This refers to the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist. We have a less formal and more generic breaking of bread later in the passage. As it says in verse 46, they receive food with glad hearts in their homes. And breaking bread in their homes. This, however, is the breaking of bread. It is referring to the sacrament. So in this passage, we have a, 
see believers who are devoted to the sacraments. Most commentators believe this refers to both sacraments. Indeed, if you read in verse 41, baptism was just mentioned, right? So if you, you know, we arbitrarily, we arbitrarily slice these passages up. It's a, it's a text as a whole. Verse 41 mentions baptism, and the very next verse mentions the Lord's Supper. The early church was devoted to the sacraments. It may seem weird to say we should be devoted to the Eucharist. Why would we do that? Well, the reason is, is because the, the, the Lord's Supper is a means of grace. If it, when taken by believers, it accomplishes what it represents. This is not a mere symbol that we are about to partake in. This is, this is uh, we believe that through the power of the Holy Spirit, not physically, but mystically or spiritually, we do partake of the body and blood of Christ to our spiritual nourishment and our growth in grace. We, we do these things. We, we hear the word. We participate in the sacraments because they have the power to change us and nourish us and fulfill us. They have the power to fill us up. And so we see the early church was devoted to the Eucharist. And it says also to the prayers. Again, there's the definite article and it's in plural. It, it's not saying they were devoted to prayer. Uh, it is saying they were devoted to the prayers, the, the corporate gathered worship of God's people. It doesn't exclude prayer. We should be devoted to prayer in general. But this refers to the fact they gathered together. It says it later in the passage, they got together daily to pray at the temple. Uh, they gathered together, they were devoted to the corporate gathering of the prayers, the common prayer of God's people, the worship. And so we, we see here the three things that are called in our tradition the means of grace, word, sacrament, and prayer. Why should we be devoted to those things? Because those things have been given spiritual power to, to fill us up, to, to, to nourish us, to strengthen us, and to do God's work within us. If we are devoted to these things, the things that are mentioned here, uh, the, the co- corporate activity as, as, as the body of Christ, we will have the energy, we will have the, the, the soul, uh, the, the fullness of our souls being filled to be able to do the things that we are called to do. The rest of the things that come out in the passage that we'll talk about next are a result of the Spirit's power and devotion to the means of grace. When, when that happens, you have an outflow, which is described in the rest of the passage. And so I would say to us, there, there is a counterfeit devotion. And that there's a counterfeit uh, devotion that many of us are devoted to, not, sometimes the wrong things, and also to things that may not fill us. We have to understand that if we are filled with the things that God calls us to be devoted to, then we will have the energy, we will have the we have our souls filled to do the things that we're called to do and the things that we enjoy. And so they were devoted. Uh, the beautiful community was devoted. The second thing we see is the beautiful community is generous. This is repeated several times in the, in the passage. If we start in um, verse 44, it says that they had all things in common. In verse 45, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Uh, and so they were give, they're giving of their wealth. They're sharing of their goods. Notice this doesn't say they sold all their possessions. It just says they sold their possessions. Um, some folks have looked at this passage as a proof text for socialism. Uh, you know, my point today is not to say 
uh, whether it, you know, to give a sermon for or against socialism, my point is to say is, is, this, is a, this is promoting a generosity. That is the point. A generosity, a radical generosity. The people are generous. They're willing to sell their goods so that they can give to the people in their church who need it. They share things in common. Uh, I, don't think that there, I don't think that means there wasn't any private property, uh, but what it likely means is, you know, the, whole, the common saying, what's mine is yours. You need to borrow this, it's yours. Come, come borrow it. You, need to, you know, this is the kind of attitude they had. It was, you know, everything belongs to God, and so uh, we can lend, and lend freely amongst each other. They were generous. But they weren't only generous with their goods and their money. They were generous with their time and their homes. Uh, some of us don't have the money or the goods to be generous, but all of us have the same amount of time. We all have 24 hours in a day. We all have seven days in a week. We all have a human body. And I think, pretty sure we all have homes to live in. Uh, and so the second part of generosity is they were generous with those things, their time, with their selves, and with their homes. It says that they Day by day, they were attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes and receiving their food with glad and generous hearts. They shared with each other. So we can all afford to be generous with our time. We can all afford to be generous with our service. We can all, with the service that we perform, our works of service. And we can all afford to be generous uh, with our homes. Um, what I want to say is, is there, there's sort of a... a, a well, there's a counterfeit generosity, but there's also a, uh, a push to say that we can't afford to do these things. And what I want to what, what push back on is, is, is yes, uh, these things do flow out of God's grace in our life. We, we don't perform works of service. We don't perform, you know, we don't give to the church in order to be blessed. We do those things because we are blessed. But it is also true that if we just sit around and wait for God to move our hearts to be generous, you're probably going to sit around for a while. Now, some people have this sort of miraculous spirit of generosity uh, that, that God moves within them, yes. But for many of us, we have to practice these things. We have to practice generosity. We have to practice giving up of our time. It's just like when we come to worship, sometimes we don't feel it, right? I'm sure, not, I'm sure that hasn't happened to any of you. you every Sunday, you just come in here like leaping like the calf out of the stall and you're just ready to go. But what happens as you begin to pray and as you begin to sing, you begin to get into it. You know, it's that old phrase, fake it till you make it. You know, if you do things with your body, your heart follows. Your heart follows. And so part of being a faithful Christian is not doing, being generous to earn favor with God, but maybe practicing generosity to get those muscles going. And so what I want to encourage you pastorally is to be generous. One of the things that we need to consider is how can we be more generous uh, with our time and with our service. Part of, building the com- part of building the beautiful community means making genero- being generous with our time, with our resources. If we have, if we have a need to, uh, to make sure that we are devoted to the apostles' teaching, it means having teachers. So that means folks are going to have to give of their time to be teachers. If we have need to be devoted to the fellowship, to each other, it means we need to spend time with one another. So that means we're going to have to both be present at things and also open up our homes uh, for gatherings. You know, we may, not, we may think that we don't have time uh, to do these things, uh, but the, the, the point of this passage is that whatever we are doing, uh, whether in our, in, in our society, I think it's probably three things. 
that, that we are devoted to that would keep us from the beautiful community. We may be devoted to kids' activities, to work, or schooling. I think those are the, probably the big three. Um, the point is this, is that it's actually a, a lie that we don't have time because of these other things. It's not true. It's, it's, a, it's a temptation that the evil one wants to make us believe so that we will not join in with what God wants us to do and what will give us life. The reality is, is that if we devote ourselves and are generous with our time and our resources, we will have the energy and the time to do the things that we're called to do with all the more vigor and energy and creativity. This, I think, is the principle of the Sabbath. The principle of the Sabbath is that you give a day, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm not arguing at this moment for Sabbatarianism, so don't hear me say that. What I'm arguing is the principle. The principle of the Sabbath is that if we give time to the Lord, he will multiply the, other, the, the rest of the time. If we give of our energy and our time and our resources to the Lord, he will multiply the other time. The, the principle of the Sabbath is if we give one-seventh of our week, he will make the, uh, the six-sevenths more productive because we are full. We are able to be more productive because we are filled up in our soul. We have relationships that engage us. And, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this. Sometimes it's hard to work because you're sad or you're tired. But if you're full, you're able to approach your work, your play, whatever it is, with vim and vigor. So we are called to be generous. The beautiful community is generous with its time and with its resources. But there's also a counterfeit community. It's not hard to see in our culture that there are lots of things that people spend their time and money on. We are in a political season right now, and there are obscene amounts of money that are being poured in to, uh, to political contests. Enormous amounts of money to, in order to try to affect uh, a change, in order to try to build a society uh, that is good. We, we know that people invest a lot of money, a lot of money in, in our, our children and in activities and, and maybe our homes and other things. Uh, none of these things in, are, in and of themselves are bad. The political process is good. We need to engage in it. Hobbies are good. Houses are good. I have one. The point is that we can't be devoted to those things. We need to be generous with those. And if, and if those things are keeping us from being generous, we need to reset our priorities. Lastly, we see that the beautiful community is successful. You may, you may find that that's a, that's a strange word to think about church being successful. Uh, Tim Keller, in his book Center Church, presented uh, two poles, two ends of a pendulum shift, you might say. Uh, one was the, the sort of megachurch, church growth idea of success. You know, all the number, counting the numbers and counting the, 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 the money that's giving, given and using methods in order to drive church growth. And, and many of us would critique that sort of approach to church success. But Keller points out that the opposite is true too. To sit back and believe that uh, all we have to do is you know, do the means of grace, word, sacrament, prayer, and we don't have to think about success or measuring fruit, what he called fruitfulness, is also not true. We need to find the middle, and Tim, as he always does, makes a triangle. He finds the gospel center. And what he says is the Bible does talk about fruitfulness. It does talk about ministry success. What do we see here? We see a lot of beautiful things coming out. 
We see awe upon every soul. Signs and wonders being done through the apostles. Amazing things accomplished. Uh, we see that, uh, that and if we go down to verse 47, sorry, verse 46, they're glad. They're happy. That's ministry success, right? They were happy. Uh, in verse 47, they had favor with all the people. People liked them. And lastly, uh, day by day, the Lord was adding to their number. And so the point is that if we pursue the beautiful community, if God blesses us as we pursue these things, it will make our endeavor together successful, not in terms of the world, but in terms of what the Bible teaches is fruitfulness, fruitfulness in ministry. The counterfeit counterfeit community says success is power, it's wealth, but the, the beautiful community has success in people and changed lives. And, and people coming and finding the thing that they most need and, and, and growing in their faith and their life. You know, if, we, if I go back to uh, fight, fight Club just briefly, one of the interesting things about that movie is the, the groups that he attends, he likes them. But what really engages him and ultimately steals people away from the groups is when they get together and start punching each other. And it's kind of odd. I see why the uh, studio executives were wary of this movie because they're, they're, they're fighting each other. But why do they do this? It's because sensuality has power. You know, they got together and did this activity called Fight Club. They fought each other. They blooded each other because they were longing to feel something. They weren't, they weren't feeling anything. And they're longing just to feel. How many of our pursuits, we, we pursue the, the, the pleasures of plate and cup and and relationship and, and other other ways just to feel something to feel something good just to feel anything at all even pain is better than feeling nothing um, i think it's a probably a, it's a pro, it's a profound observation i like to contrast that with babette's feast we watched that back in the fall together you know, babette's feast you look at them they're devoted to a lot of the same things we read about today they're devoted to the word of god they gather together right they they share meals even though they're Pretty crappy, you know, meals. They're not very good. They do all the stuff, right? They're devoted. What's missing? Beauty. Beauty is missing. This sensuality that people are seeking after. We see in Fight Club. We see in, uh, in the things that, that, that many people pursue. Beauty and, and, and joy and pleasure are God-created. And so what we see beautifully in that movie is, as, is, is that lavish feast is made. They pursue beauty. The beautiful community is created. They start to smile. They start to giggle, maybe helped by the alcohol a little bit. Uh, but they start forgiving each other. They stop fighting each other because fighting feels good, right? They're fighting each other, but they stop fighting and they start forgiving. And I think we see a picture of the gospel there. That pursuing the beautiful community means pursuing joy and beauty and love and light. Martin Luther King once said this, Love is creative and redemptive. Love builds up and unites. Hate tears down and destroys. The aftermath of the fight with fire method, which you suggest is bitterness and chaos. The aftermath of the love method is reconciliation and creation of the beloved community. Physical force can repress, restrain, coerce, destroy, but it cannot create and organize anything permanent. Only love can do that. 
love, beauty, and devotion to the means of grace and to each other. Let us pursue those things together and pray that the Spirit would build the beautiful community, the beloved community in our midst. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Please rate and review us on your podcast service and share with anyone who may be interested. The intro and outro music for the New Life podcast is provided by Sandra McCracken with her permission. Please visit her website at sandramccracken.com. We'll see you next week.